Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have Day Dayton and Sandra Ferguson, who are both, uh, one is president and the other is the vice president of the Friends of the Long Pond Greenbelt. Hi, Day. Sandra, how are you? Good. How are you? How are you? Well, last time I checked pretty well. Happy, uh, happy that it's raining. I know, I know. But anyway, you know, we need that just as much as we need sunshine. So you can't beat it. But uh, a lot of people aren't aware about the Long Pond uh, Greenbelt. But before we go there, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Let's start with you, Day. What attracted you to the Hamptons and how did you transition here? Oh, I was born in the Hamptons, <laughs> born in Southampton. I'm from a very old, two very old families, the Daytons and the Hedges. Well, and I like the, grew the up in East Hampton. Oh. Dayton Lane. <laughs> Interesting. And there's even a lane, right, in East yeah. Hampton called Dayton Lane. I know. <laughs> how about you, Sandra? What, how did you uh, get out here? Well, um, a friend and I moved here in 1973 Ooh. and we moved to East Hampton. And oddly enough, at that time, I got to know Dave Dayton. But then we lost touch until the mid-90s. So um, it was a very interesting reintroduction that took place. <laughs> well, how did you guys get involved? And in, I think it's a great thing that you're doing. I mean, the Friends of the Long Pond Greenbelt. Did you come up with the idea? I mean, who came up with this to begin with? Well, well, there are two things that work here. The first is, is that before we formed as an, an official organization, there had been a group meeting for many, many, many years to develop a management plan for the Long Pine Greenbelt. And in that, it made the suggestion that in the ongoing stewardship of the Greenbelt, that having a friends of type of group would be a very good thing. And it, it just so happened that it started with the actual formation of our group when Dave knocked on my door because we are both uh, live near Vineyard Field. And she was uh, soliciting the, intro, the help of neighbors to try and convince the town to preserve Vineyard Field and Vineyard Woods, about 70 acres, as open space. It had been proposed as a golf course. And condos. And <laughs> condos. And it, it, it had actually been through a, several different areas. It would have been a, tra a travesty, right? I mean, geez. No, yeah, it would have been a disaster. Right. Um, and that was it. I mean, from there, we formed a small organization and we, we worked really hard to try and convince the town to make that purchase. They did. And on the very day that they did, we had a check that we were going to hand to the town. And one of the town council people said, listen, keep it. We have enough money. You start Friends of the Long Park Kingdom. Wonderful. So when did it start? What year was that? 1997. This is our 25th year. Yeah. Wow. Again, like we were talking earlier, time does fly, doesn't it? <laughs> that's that's great. So, how many miles are there in the uh, green belt? Well, 
Well, it depends if you're talking its kind of geographical extent. Uh, it runs from Sag Harbor technically to Sag Pond in Sag Pond, which is a good, what, six miles or so. But if what you're interested in is how many miles of trails there are. Right, right. Uh, since there are many different, and they crisscross, and they're everywhere, um, we think there are somewhere around a dozen miles, about 12 miles. Wow. And they also link to the Pomona Path and to the Hamlet to Hamlet trails. So you can keep walking and walking. <laughs> so, you know, it, is it a part of the trail? I know there's a trail and I can't remember the, well, I, I remember it, but I can't pronounce it. Pomonoc uh, Trail? Does it run Pumanoc, yeah. contiguous to that or no? Um, the Pomonoc passes uh, directly through the Green Belt, heading east-west from Mentok all the way up to Rocky Point. Wow. Yeah. That's that's phenomenal. So um, what are the different ways that people can enjoy the the green belt? Well, it it depends what they like to do. Um, A lot of people find it, particularly since COVID, many people find just getting outside, getting somewhere where they can spend some time in what they consider to be safe in terms of their health, and uh, so really accessible. And because there are so many entry points to the Green Belt, if a lot of people took up taking walks, running, that's, those are really rather serious. Yeah, and because it's a chain of coastal plains ponds, there's 13 different ponds, you can bring your kayak or canoe and paddle the ponds also. Wow. And you can also fish, I understand. Is that correct? Yes, if you have your um, Southampton Town fishing license. Right. And what kind yeah. of fish are they're not trout in those ponds, are there? Yeah. Um they're they're actually some of them are stocked with largemouth bass, but there's pickerel, there's sunnies, there's you know, perch, there's a mm-hmm. little assortment. <laughs> wow. That is that, that is amazing. Um now I know you also um have moonlight walks, which I, to me sound fascinating. Uh, how does that when are they and one's are they? coming up this Saturday? Wow. <laughs> oh, great. At, at what time? Like is it 10 o'clock at night or something? It start, This one starts at 8. Gotcha. Eight and it's about an hour with refreshments. <laughs> and we meet behind the Sofo Museum and we walk the 30-acre field. It's really a, not a long walk, but right. it's very beautiful. And even in the dark. <laughs> ah, is it a full moon then? Yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's that perfect. It? Right. So you can't trip. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You keep uh, the trail very mode. So hopefully, you know, there's no tripping and in, tripping involved. Right? <laughs> now, there's a, a little thing going on now with um, uh, the Greenbelt and uh, PSE and G, which is the uh, our local uh, electric utility company. And can you tell us about that? What is the what, what are they doing and what, what's that issue here? Well, they have uh, a set of plans that they have uh, had to develop an environmental impact statement for, where they want to you know, they want to install a new transmission line that runs from Bridgehampton to Buell Lane in East Hampton. Part of that we go straight through the coastal plain ponds system of the Greenbelt. And to do that, they're, they're, um, they're uh, 
proposing that they use a type of underground drilling called horizontal directional drilling, which is pretty much like what they use when they're fracking for oil. And it would go way, 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 way deep down underneath the ponds. And then, uh, and then later it would resume as it head towards East Hampton as a trenched system. And um, they've, they've held a public hearing. The public hearing they heard from a lot of people here in the, our area that opposed yeah, going Paul, through the Green Belt. Right. I know there were a number of uh, politicians also speaking up, uh, Fred Thiel and Jay uh, Schneiderman. Uh, Jay wasn't there, but Bridget Fleming was there. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 so, is there any alternatives to this uh, process or to what they're planning to do? Oh, definitely. They they proposed four other alternatives, and the the option that we feel will you know not really be detrimental to the greenbelt would be number three, which would just go along the roadway down the turnpike and down Montauk Highway. Is it going that way now? Um, it's overhead um, now, but okay. this is an entirely different cable. So, so is this a new cable they're, they're looking to... to um... Yeah, to boost the power in East Hampton. Uh, hmm. So <laughs> going down, would that be Scuttle Hole? Is that what you were saying? No, it would go... Um, Actually, from the Lipa station on the Bridgehampton Sag Harbor Turnpike right. south, and okay. then it would go on to um, Montauk Highway. And then, it would, it, then it would just bypass uh, any of the environmental concerns that you know. Are... Yeah, it would be an existing roadbed right. rather than drilling through a coastal plain pond system. And also, in order to bring in the big equipment, they would have to clear cut an acre of land. And bring in the big machines. You mean to cut across underneath the pond? To get under, and and there's two vernal ponds that um, have the New York State endangered tiger salamander. So they have special setbacks, and any of this kind of work would be detrimental to all these animals. Right, right. So we're really hoping they well, choose option three. Right. Well, the thing is, maybe it's a cost factor, you know, that uh, what is that? The, the shortest uh, distance between two exactly. points is a straight line. <laughs> so. There is there is no way to put the cost on destroying a coastal plain pond system. Right. Right. So true. So true. Can uh, people volunteer uh, with uh, the, the friends of the Long Pond Greenbelt? We, yeah, we Fantastic. are. Yes. We are an all-volunteer group, actually. And we have do we have different types of projects. We have invasive control projects. We have uh, what else? We have our Sundays at two series where um, we have speakers coming from April through October or November, once a month at the Longhorn Greenbelt Nature Center, which is in Bridgehampton. Uh, and we run programs there, and we're always looking for people who are. I know a lot of people. I just want to uh, clarify that a lot of people drive past it because you don't have a, a large sign there saying, you know, this way or yeah. <laughs> with the arrows pointing. But uh, it's what? It's just off of Scuttlehole. Just, right? just north of Scuttlehole on the Bridgehampton Sack Harbor Turnpike. Then no. you can't miss it and, right? if you keep if you're paying attention. Now, what is back there? You know, I, I haven't uh, driven back there, but is there a, a house that 
or a, a yeah, it's actually the house that Val Schaffner built. Yeah, yeah. And he uh, sold to the town, and it's a beautiful house. A very long driveway. Just keep going. Okay. <laughs> and we have a little environmental reading room and, and our programs. And on October eighth, we'll have our celebration of the Long Pond Greenbelt. When is that? October what? October eighth, also in Vineyard Field. So we invite everyone to come. Speaking of uh, Vineyard Field, I know that uh, you have this, um, uh, what is it called? The uh, boy, it, It's slipping me. Uh, the Vineyard Field where people volunteer and they go in and take out all the invasive. Uh, yeah, we call it adopt a patch. <laughs> okay, that's it. I couldn't remember what that was. Right? Yeah. Because it's 40 acres, uh, it's very hard to tackle the whole thing at once. So we're having volunteers work on their patches and um, hopefully one day we'll clear it of the invasive plants. <laughs> oh, what are some of those plants? Just curiosity. I mean, are um, they? Uh... The most horrible one um, is the autumn olive. The whole field had grown up in autumn olives uh, before we started the grasslands program. Huh. We all, we have them all. We have Japanese knotweed. We have mugwort. But it's still, we keep the trail mode and it's wide and beautiful. So, um, well, we actually do a full, a full field mode once a year yeah. as well to try and beat the automobile particularly spring. back in early spring. But other than that, it's the, it's only the trail center mode. Right. So how can uh, people get in contact with you if they want to volunteer or support you? Well, they can send a note to our email, which is greenbeltnews at AOL.com. Yeah. I'll say that again, greenbeltnews at AOL.com. And we're also asking people to go to the September 28th LIPA meeting, and they can read more about that on our site. Fantastic. Oh, and the website is longpondgreenbelt.org. Great. Sandra, Day, it's been a pleasure having both of you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Please stay tuned to where you are since we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me from Ken Secor Construction, Ken Secor. Hey, Ken, how are you today? Hey, John. Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. How about yourself? Good. I have no complaints, and it's always great, you know, talking with you. Uh, Ken, it's been quite a year, but before we talk about what happened in the past, let's talk about you being a boutique construction firm. What exactly is a boutique construction firm? Sure, John. So this is uh, this is an area of construction that I found through the years. You know, we used to do really big projects. I came up from smaller projects, and what I found out here in the Hamptons is uh, – people are having a hard time finding people to do their medium-sized projects or their unique projects. Maybe it's a wine cellar they want. Maybe it's a custom bathroom they want. The bigger builders aren't interested in that. The smaller guys, the handyman guys, it's too big for them. Uh, so we work with uh, architects that are local. Uh, we have. Uh, we also provide in this boutique service, we provide what's called a homeowner's rep service. That's where we 
act in between the builder and the homeowner's best interests and represent the homeowner's interests on their projects. And we're familiar enough with construction that we don't alienate or demonize builders. We try to get the most out of them for our clients. Uh, so that's another concept of our boutique operation that we have. And with that, I'm not the only guy. I also have project managers that have been representatives for the big boys out here that are entering into their later phase of life that they're also want more free time and they like working with me for smaller projects. So uh, we're trying to find that sweet spot where we're, we're getting people that high-end custom look without doing the 10 million and $30 million homes. We, I, I have no interest in that work today. It's too, it's a, it's a different, it's a different animal and it requires a lot of administration and a lot of staffing for those big projects. And I'm, I'm, I'm at a point that I like it simple. So you can do, um, say somebody wants to expand their, their home. Can they do that with you? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, uh, we, so we do addition work, you know, anything from 300 feet to 3000 square feet, uh, would be probably our, our sweet spot when it gets it much like bigger than that. 2000 square feet, but I, some people put on that kind of addition, doesn't it? Don't that, they? that, that could be a bathroom out here, John, you know, <laughs> it, that, it, it could be a bathroom. Yeah. And, and, and we like that kind of work for sure. Exactly. Um, I'm sure there were some challenges during the uh, pandemic. Could you give us an idea of what some of them were and whether it's any different now that the pandemic has passed? Sure. So that I like the, the concept that you said now that the pandemic has passed. It seems like the unspoken rule, but we're all playing nice. Nobody's threatening to shut down jobs and lockdowns and that, that insanity. Uh, yeah. So what I've seen, the biggest problem we've had, I would say, in the pandemic uh, this past year was the commodity spike. We had bids that went out in October. And we went to contract in, in uh, February on three different jobs. All of them, the lumber was up over 110, 120% from the original quoted price. And our electrical became, uh, you know, it's copper and that's a commodity that took off. So that was, we had that inflation spike that, that, that had some sticker shock for everybody. But I think everybody, you know, you heard it on the news, you heard it locally. It was no surprise to any of our clients, but it was, uh, you know, had to be navigated. Uh, supply chain is still... Uh, Still weirdest things, you know, we can't find, but it, it wasn't as bad as it was the years before. I really don't have any complaints. I'm, I, I've been able to work with the conditions of uh, some shortages that we've had. We've been able to do product substitution and keep the project rolling. Unlike the years previous where we, we can't get a common toilet, you know, that that, that was a problem. Eating, waiting eight weeks for toilets. Wow. Do you yeah. sometimes like, for example, if somebody's looking or the architect has a certain idea of... Um, fixture that they want like um, like you're saying toilets because they they run from you can go to home depot toilet to uh what's it duravite uh, toilets and 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 onward sure. um but sometimes you can't get those toilets what do you do do you suggest suggest you know say to the uh the owner listen we can't get that one but we can offer you this well, you know, here's the thing again about the boutique. The, the boutique concept is I have communication with my clients all the time. We have they have direct access to me. They can call me on Sunday evening if it's important. I'll take the phone call. I, it, I will take the call. You know, and with that, we, I, I counsel them so that their expectations are managed. If I see challenges on getting supply, I encourage them. I encourage us to go towards getting storage containers and, and pre-ordering and being preemptive and ordering way ahead of schedule, knowing we might have a three month delay for something that used to take three weeks. It becomes a little costly for all the storage, but it's nice to have it on site if we can get it on site. And that's one of the things that I really kind of keep the job moving smooth and it's worked out well for us in the past year. Everything was pre-ordered ahead of time. Windows, we wait, we, they're telling us 12 weeks for Anderson Windows, it used to be four. 
that's worked out well because we ordered them 18 weeks ahead of time. So they were in stock, ready for us, and we could take delivery when we were ready to put them in. Uh, so, so that's how we're acclimated to these these challenging times or these changing conditions. You know, it's keeping up with yeah, the change. So, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's Perfect. so in, intelligent from the standpoint that um, I have uh, where I where I live. I see a house going up, and it started back in October, November, uh, and they they still don't have windows. You know, it's I mean, it's a an open face kind of you know. Obviously, has to be custom windows. Sure. But even still, you know, construction stopped. And it's, the idea, of what you just said, is like, okay, get a pod, order them now, not order them when you need them, but order them way ahead. That, that's right, John. And and and, and tell, turning around and telling the client, like, oh, we can't get them. There, we have to wait, you know, uh, uh, six months to get them. To me, that's unacceptable to tell them that when we're in the fifth inning of the project, but to tell them when we're signing contract, I educate my clients ahead of time. So we're managing expectations and they know what they can expect from me. I can't wear the weight of the world of interruption supply chain, but I can certainly enlighten my clients about the challenges and and what what it is that we're getting that might be challenging. It just makes for a much smoother smoother relationship. And you know, when, when we work on people's homes, it becomes... I've heard this story. I've heard this breakdown from a psychiatrist that the most stressful experience for for a, a married couple is children. The second most stressful experience is remodeling a home. So I take that very personal. I've seen the meltdowns when I was a younger man. I try to be everything I can do to prevent them from happening. And it's really just about keeping people aware of what's coming. They can say, oh, no, what do we do about the supply chain? I'm like, well, we're in front of it by six months. So we're, we're at least addressing it now, not not at the, not at the last hour. And that's the best we can do, right? Right, exactly. But, you know, that's so uh, true about the idea that because um, I did some remodeling on my home and my wife left, uh, went away to Italy while it was construction right. going on. But, you know, the, 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 the sad part of it was that I was living in the house while the uh, construction was going on and mm. never realized what's involved living with construction as compared to not being <laughs> right on the site. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's fascinating what you say, because I could see it's very stressful. I mean, you know, a lot of times, especially I'm sure you see this with uh, when you're doing some work that, that the, um, the wife says, Oh, geez, you know, I thought this was going to have a bigger feel, the bedroom, you know, or the bathroom. Sure. And they say, do you think you can knock out that wall that you put over there? <laughs> Yes, that's right. Yeah. Have you had that experience? Uh, all day long. I, I love those challenges. That's the thing is, uh, I, so I've seen plenty of clients. They don't, they don't understand the space of the blueprints. They understand the floor plan. But they can't really grasp the volume. They said they need to see it built. So we invite them on site as soon as we get it framed. And, and, and I explained to them, we can start moving walls now. It's much more economical. So if you can get here while we're framed, that's phase one. But I've had it where we're, we're in completion stage and we have flooring going down and we have clients that want to move a wall and it's structural and it becomes a, we can do it. You know, it's, my thing is, is never complain. I never know someone's budget and what's their, what their limits are. I just try to be accommodating, but most certainly, John, a, a preemptive, letting people know moving a wall when it's only framed and it hasn't been wired and plumbed yet, much, much less money than moving a wall after it's been plumbed, rough, mechanicals in it. It becomes very costly. You know. Right. But I, you know, it's interesting what experience uh, teaches you, because uh, from your standpoint, what a way to, to, to 
be in the in the process because you're involving the people in the process not after the walls are up you're saying come here look at what we have here's get a feel of how the the space feels now and i think that's so brilliant i mean that's really great i mean um even with the 3d you know a lot of architects have the 3d feeling you know so you get an idea of the space but that doesn't really give you the actual physical reality once you get to the place so that is great now do you think uh, the supplies are going to be coming down anytime soon oh i mean uh, um I, 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 that, that, that becomes more like an economical question, John, that I play economics, but I, I consider myself an armchair economist. You know, I really don't, it would be a very loose, loose opinion and I don't hang my hat on it too much. When people ask me, I'm like, all we can really go on is you can read the futures market and listen to what they're saying in the news and doing your interpretation. You know, are we going into a, a recession? Or are we not? I would argue that the Hamptons doesn't experience recession the way the rest of middle America does, you know? Right. Uh, so, so, so I'm not really so sure. Uh, and, and the, the, um, the, the inflation across the board has, I think, uh, my perception is I expect gas to stay at $5 a gallon. I expect lumber to be, you know, pretty close to being done, uh, falling, uh, in price. That's just my opinion though. And I would never tell anybody like, build your whole budget around that. We have to prepare for shifts in the market and tumultuous things that have moved the market in the past three years. I like my clients to be prepared for surprise. You're saving money is the best thing I can tell the client that the commodities dropped, but we need right. to keep them educated that we might see another spike and, and make sure we have some reserves, you know? How do you deal with the, uh, on the other side of the coin, how do you deal with the idea of, of uh, like you said, lumber, it's going up 120 20%. So, you, you, you uh, are ready to sign contracts. Do you put some sort of waiver in the contract or? We do now. <laughs> we do now, John. It was an uncomfortable conversation. And fortunately, my clients understood. We had one that when we went to contract, we were supposed to start in October. Uh, it sat on their lawyer's office. It got pushed around for three months. And when we finally went to buy lumber, I said, not my fault. You know, can we work on this? The client said, absolutely. They understood. And it, 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 it was, they accommodated. Now, I need to be clear, when we went up 120% in lumber prices, they've come almost all the way back down from where they spiked from. So, but not, they're not pre-pandemic, but they're pre uh, last October. And we're around that price again. Uh, one of the other things that we experience is worth bringing up is we've had a shortage of, ironically enough, you know, uh, workers, tradesmen, uh, the subcontractors. I've uh, noticed an influx. I've noticed the demand harder to, uh, harder to get the guys that I like. Uh, and another challenge that they've told me is that their commute has turned from one hour from, as we say, coming up island, right? They're coming from from west of the Hamptons. Uh, it's gone from one hour to one and a half to two to two and a half as we're approaching summer. And the argument is, is we have more people living here and we have more work than we've ever had. Southampton gave me notification that they're shutting their office down. This was three months ago. They're shutting their office down one day a month to process permits. There's such a high influx of work coming in. I expect this to, to cool down and settle, settle down. But right now, what I've experienced is the huge price surge in labor. I've got guys that are saying, I'm paying, I'm paying a crew to sit in traffic for two hours, and I'm paying $7 a gallon for, for our fuel for our work trucks to get there. It's costing me a couple of hundred bucks to $1,000 just to get my guy there. So we've had to work some of this into our uh, increase in pricing as well you know it's a, a, it's new times i think that'll settle down when the work settles down but we're in a 
we're in a major remodel mode right here in, in the Hamptons from what I see anyway. Yeah, it, it does look that way. Uh, just quickly, in 10 seconds, sure. can you say you were mentioning about the rental permits? How far, how backed up are they on rental permits? Build, building permits, John. I mean, building permits, not rental permits. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, that's your thing. You're a realtor, so you know rental permits. <laughs> rental, exactly. Uh, we have, uh, I, I, they did not get, what I've experienced was that we're by law, we're supposed to have permits within 30 days and we're not getting them. And there's no sense in pursuing law on this matter. You want to be friendly with the building department. It's There's been a major shift in the building department. I just say nice to everybody, politically correct, and never, never catch an attitude with the building department. It's not advantageous right. for our business. Right. That's great. Ken, uh, yeah. how can somebody get in touch with you if they have some more questions? Sure, John. They can they can look up, uh, they can find me on my website at kensecorconstruction.com. That's K-E-N-S-E-C-O-R. Ken, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting from the beautiful town of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island. Thank you for sharing your time and be sure to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.